Welcome to Freedom Fellowship Church in Kakana, Wisconsin. We are a non-denominational, Bible-teaching Christian church. Visit us at cometofreedom.com. We hope you're encouraged by God's Word. Here's Pastor Landon Churchill with today's message. And so this morning, Matthew chapter 23, we're going to get through the first dozen or so verses. So if you take a look with me at verse 1, then Jesus spoke. I don't know. How many guys really enjoy the red letters in the Bible? Like you're really like, oh, it's red. This is, I love red letters. And here, once again, Jesus is speaking to the multitudes, the disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses's seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works. For they say, and they do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on men's shoulders. But they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad, and and they enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So here is our Lord's last public message. We see this in the first 13 verses before he withdraws from the people Then he has uh, a private conversation with the Pharisees in the rest of the chapter, and that's what we will pick up next time. But what topic does he pick? Why would he pick this topic? If you look here, guys, this is the most severe language that Jesus ever used in any of his ministry. Beware. Beware of the scribes. Why? Beware of what? Well, because of their proud, they are proud lovers of, in it, he's going to lay out really what was in mind and what we have to keep in mind this morning. They're going to look at what greatness is. And we're going to consider that this morning. So these Pharisees, they try to find it in different places, four different places that we read about. Three titles, two ways to be seen by men, and one way to have high talk with low walk. So that's kind of our simple outline this morning. But I want to consider these with you. And the first one we'll look at is the greatness that is found in places. Is that where true greatness is found? Well, if you look at verses 2, 6, and 7, Jesus brings up four places for us in this passage one of those being Moses' seat, 
that refers in verse 2 to a tradition, okay, that authority of Moses. The Pharisees believed that they alone interpreted the words of Moses properly. They were the only ones who got it. Thus, you notice they seated themselves in a chair. Okay, this is found in Chorazin, we read about. So this was an actual chair that they had set up in the synagogue. Still, it's used today. We have the Pope. He speaks ex cathedra, okay, from that seat or that chair of authority. We see it in universities, don't we? Okay, it's still used to this day. Someone who shares, say, the Department of Science. So... This chair, another thing that Jesus brings up, they also want the best places in the feasts. First part of verse 6 here. So when the wealthy gave feasts, the scribes were considered necessary ornaments to adorn their meal that they were putting on. They were given a place of honor at the right or the left hand of the host, even above their parents. Also, they wanted the best seats in the synagogues. Verse 6 goes on to tell us, seats at the front of the synagogue, okay, facing their congregation, back against their chest, the holding the Torah, okay, um, where they could be seen, okay, or actually see everybody and also be seen, which was the most important thing to these guys. And then Jesus talks about greetings in the marketplace. You see that in verse 7? Okay, they didn't love greeting or <clears throat> didn't love greeting others, but being a greeter, but loved when everybody else knows their name. That's what they cared about. You guys remember the character Norm from Cheers in the 80s? I think he really embodied this, right? Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name, right? And they're always glad you came and you want to be where you can see our troubles. They're all the same. You want to be where everybody knows your name. Never thought Norm would make it into a sermon, did you? <laughs> so the basic fact of Christianity is that it ought to make a man wish to really obliterate self. That's the point here, rather than to exalt it. So is greatness found in places, guys? No. Then Jesus brings up in verses 8 through 10 is greatness found in titles. And he's going to bring up three titles for you and I. All titles and honors aren't automatically a bad thing. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But if you are so proud of your title and honors that give occasion to pride to parade its ugly self, then they are forbidden. That's what Jesus is getting at here. So it's different of someone using your title versus you making them use it every single time. Okay, I'm not going to swat your hand if you don't call me Pastor Landon. You can call me Landon or Hey You even works. Okay, it's all good. But this, the, the contrast is these Pharisees, um, Jesus commands them to avoid this pride or prestige that accompanies these titles so we can also become prideful in not using titles, right? Okay, so it's a pride issue is what Jesus is getting at here. One of those titles would be rabbi, okay? A teacher, the great one, okay? I have the greatest teacher of all time. He's my rabbi, I'm his disciple. I follow him, I know everything he's ever said, okay? Um, 
You're all brethren on the same plane. No one needs to raise yourself up is what Jesus is getting at. And then he brings up father. Call no one father. So don't call anyone on earth your father in the spiritual sense here. Biological fathers, okay. Even Paul himself referred to himself as a spiritual father. But call no one father. I've met a lot of priests through the years. Okay, and some of them had a hard time because I would never call them father. I just, it just rubbed me. I just knew this, I just can't do it. I know that you want me to call you that, <laughs> but God tells me not to. Can't do it, dude. <laughs> so um, the next one is teacher. Okay, so God has placed spiritual leaders in the church. We see that in scripture. He's given us those gifts to the body, but they must not replace God in our lives. And my heart breaks how easily we want to put people on a pedestal. You know, well, if you went to my church, you would have pastor so-and-so, and he's just the greatest man who's ever lived. No, he's a sinner just like you. <laughs> That's what it's about. And the bummer is when we begin to esteem somebody, men often fall. I mean, we don't have to look too far in recent history to see great men of faith, or we thought were great men of faith, fell. And there are many brothers and sisters who were wrecked and they walked away from God because of some guy messing up. Well, what are you placing your hope in? Is it a man or is your faith in God? So, God here is wanting us to, you know, we must not lead ourselves into that type of bondage, okay? where we cling to some guy, all his ideals, all his beliefs, their mind. Honestly, guys, I haven't found one guy in my entire life that I agree with everything, every idea he has, every belief. You know, I have a lot of respect for a lot of men, agree with a lot of stuff, but I found no perfect guy that, hey, that's right. I get it. We're on the same page. You're awesome. Ain't going to happen. Amen. Some of you guys are like, I got a pastor like that. Um, Lang said this, a savior prohibits, prohibits not so much the titles themselves, but the spirit of pride and ambition, which covets and abuses them. I thought he hit it on the head there. So if a person is so important that only because of you know, a uniform, a robe he wears, or a title he may bear, or the office that he holds, then their importance is really artificial. There's no substance to it. It's nothing. So, reverend so-and-so. Have you guys ever met a reverend? I've always had a hard time with that one, too. Do you guys know Psalm 111, verse 9? It tells us holy and reverend or awesome is his name. Do you guys know that word reverend? That's the only time we find it in all of Scripture, and it's referring to the awesome name of God, period, okay? Now, I guess you guys can sometimes use the high, most awesomest Reverend Landon Churchill, the Maximus, every once in a while. Now, <laughs> is greatness found in titles? No. Okay, that's the point that Jesus is getting at. Now, is greatness found in being seen is another thing that Jesus brings up in this passage. Look at verse 5. Two ways 
of being seen. Many keep the laws of God to the eye, but they violate it in the heart. So these men, they use religion to attract attention, not for the glory of God. That's what they were doing. So they even used religious ornaments, okay, to display their piety. Examples, okay, phylacteries, the borders on the garments of their clothes. If we keep this in mind, well, talking of these, that they are not bad ideas in and of themselves. Does that make sense? They're not wrong. They're a useful reminder. These phylacteries, uh, the telephone, the frontlets, okay, you ever see those? Okay, made out of black uh, calf skin on the forehead um, of one of these Pharisees, uh, scribes, uh, Jewish people. Uh, they have four compartments inside. And inside they'd have these four parchments, uh, which had different passages. Two of them you find in Exodus, and two are from Deuteronomy. But it comes from Exodus 13.9. You guys can jot that down. It says, It shall be a sign to you on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, and the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. So what is the meaning of that passage we find in Exodus? Well, the hand, you shall handle the word of God. The eyes, <laughs> see it, think about it. The mouth, speak the word of God. That's the point that Jesus was making in that passage. But they took it way literal <laughs> and ran with it and thought that, hey, it's about really binding them on our heads, having them on our hands. And they make them broad, okay? So the head one, broad spoke of the case size, okay? Not really what it contained, but just how big it was, okay? I think back to the 70s. You guys remember the jeans everybody wore, bell bottoms? How big can we get those bells, you know? That's what I, the same thing with these guys. How big can our case be? Do any of you guys still have bell bottoms at home? Yes, we'll have a bell bottom Sunday. Um, anyways, they thought I talked about zeal, whatever size it was. So wearing large ones really took that place of obedience. So question for you guys, what do you use to make yourself look religious that takes the place of true obedience? We got to ask ourselves these questions. Otherwise we're just wasting our time in this passage. What do we do that really takes the place of obedience? I think it's no wonder Jesus here ridiculed such minute concern with pretentious exter externalism and literalism. And he says here that they enlarge their borders. See, even Jesus had a hem on his garment. Okay, we know that from the scriptures, from Numbers 15.38. And it was a good reminder. They had these because it reminded them of the 613 laws that were found in the Old Testament. That's a good thing to remember. But here the leaders came up with more minute rules about the number and the length of their fringes and the number of knots that they had in them. Plummer said this, such things were useful as reminders. They are fatal when they were regarded as charms. So is greatness found in being seen, guys? No. Is greatness found in saying or doing? Well, let's look at verses 3 and 4 together. 
One way to be high on talk but low on walk, these guys were good at it. You guys catch there? Observe what they tell you. So obviously only what is taught from the scripture, not their man-made rules okay, and traditions. That's not what Jesus is saying. The word of God has authority even if people who teach it lack integrity. Have you guys ever thought that? I know that guy. Why is that ministry blossoming and flourishing and being blessed? Do you guys know that God's word is still powerful despite any man? You guys know that? Okay, it's his word. So, our Lord's standard is both to do and to teach his truths. That's what he's asked us to do. In 1 Thessalonians, you can jot down chapter 2, verses 10 and 12. You are my witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we saved ourselves, behaved ourselves, among you who believe that you would walk worthy of God. That's something the apostles took very seriously was their walk with the Lord. Not just what they taught, but did they walk uprightly? Were they an example that these new believers could follow as they followed Christ? So if we practice hypocrisy, we erode our character. So the remedy then for hypocrisy is honesty with yourself and with God. We just need to be honest. Abraham Lincoln asked the great soul searching question If I were two faced, would I be wearing this one? Think about that. So they thought outward conformity equaled righteousness. Look at what I do, look at how I dress, all the externals. This is what makes me right without any inward regard to the law. That's what Jesus was getting at. Isaiah 51.6, or sorry, Psalm 51.6. Behold, you desire truth in my inward parts. So that's the inward most part of who we are is what David was saying there. And then he said, and in the hidden parts, so where those secrets are kept, you will make me to know wisdom. Okay? Or we could put it like this. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then, conceive a new true life. That's what it's saying. That's why we must be born again of the Spirit. A new creation. Not just conforming <laughs> our behaviors. Okay, God works from the inside out. And then if you look at verse 4 with me, Jesus came to lighten burdens, not to bombard them with burdens. Do you guys know that? And boy, have we gotten that wrong in the church. If you want to come to Jesus, you need to dot, 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 dot. Doesn't it just keep going sometimes? It's like, really? So instead of spiritual leaders, they were hypocritical religious dictators. That's all these guys were. So you guys want to talk about purgatory for a second? I'd love to share. I think it's the cruelest invention that the Roman Catholic Church has ever invented. It's a false dogma that lays heavy burdens on every Catholic. They hold men captive to a system that claims they have the key to heaven. They create this mythical place 
that forgiven people go that have the same fiery torments that you would expect of hell? You go there, your souls can be sprung after you're purified, after some intermediate period of time. It could be days, it could be months, it could be years, centuries, a millennia. The soul's only hope is that their surviving loved ones left here are offering enough rosaries and enough masses in their name to shorten their stay. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for such things. They tie up heavy burdens and they lay them on men's shoulders. They do this. Purgatory is not taught in the scriptures. Nowhere. You guys remember the late television pastor, Bishop Fulton Sheen? Pretty famous guy. He's actually being considered to be canonized, um, by the way. But I want to quote him for a second. This isn't true, by the way, but this is what he said to his millions of viewers. There was a provision made for making up for our failings if we die in the state of grace. The necessity of purgatory is ground upon the absolute purity of God. As the Holy Book puts it, there shall not enter into it anything defiled. So justice demands that nothing unclean, but only the pure of heart shall stand before the face of a pure God. Who of us would dare assert that at the moment of death that we were pure enough and spotless enough to stand before the Immaculate Lamb of God. Do you think you could stand? I know that I could not. I'll answer the question, who is pure enough? How about those whom the Lamb has washed clean? <laughs> That's who. You see, Hebrews 10.29 tells us, Oh, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be taught worthy whose has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? You see, purgatory is an invention of diabolical man which has hijacked Christianity soon after the death of the apostles, just like the Apostle Paul warned us would happen after his departure. In Acts 20, verse 29, it says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples to themselves. So as Bible-believing Christians, we have an assurance from God's word that to be absent from the body is what? Present with the Lord. Aren't you glad you're not Catholic? That the promise of God's word gives us such a peace at the time of our impending death. That is truth. I don't care what a denomination says, guys. I don't care what a church may think. What has God said? That's all that matters. You see, God's word gives us this peace. All of us are going to die one day. The rapture may happen. That would be cool. But we don't know. He's loving, long-suffering. A lot of you are a little closer than some of us. And you'll be seeing Jesus sooner than some of us. That's exciting. But we have a peace. We look forward to that. 
That is a joyous thing for the believer. Catholics are taught to believe that our faith is mere assumption and that we're going to be shocked when we land in the place of torment after we die. We're going to be talking about that a little bit in a couple weeks from now. But the contrary is a bigger risk, if we're honest. Catholics who die putting their faith in the Roman church have no peace on their deathbeds. They believe they are facing worse and longer period of suffer, suffering than they already, the throes of which they may have now. They can expect to be carried away from the pains of death into pains of fire. What a cruel hoax. This is evil it's blasphemy it is another gospel in their misplaced faith it lands them in hell instead of heaven and if they did not put their faith in the blood atoning sacrifice of jesus christ the lamb of god i wonder if they think they're purgatory when they wake up in purgatory that oh this really does suck glad it's only going to be for a time and come to find out it's going to be for all time so what spiritual malpractice it is to tell professing christians that their faith and their hope in the lord jesus christ the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world is inadequate to bring us to heaven he came to set the captives free and the catholics are in desperate need to be released from this cruel master of rome can I ask how many of you guys used to be Catholic? About half the room. Can I ask you guys who have come out of the Catholic Church, how many of you guys, it was the word of God, it was his word that set you free? All right, most of that half. It's the word of God. That's the truth that sets us free. It doesn't matter what I just said, what I think. It matters what God says. And what does he say? Well, let me read one more for you, Titus 2.14. Who gave himself, speaking of Jesus, for who? For us, believers, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify us unto himself, a peculiar people, zealous for good works. So God says that Jesus' sacrifice purifies us. It's not purgatory someday. It's actually him and him crucified is enough. So, what do I really think? We don't have time for that. <laughs> but one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is Matthew eleven twenty eight, And I was thinking on how the Pharisees might read that passage, passage of scripture. And their version might go something like this. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you more religious things to do. Take my yoke upon you, because I can't bear it, so I can find rest for my soul. And learn from me, for I am a harsh and prideful taskmaster with a lot of smarts. For your yoke will be punishing and grueling, and your burden really, really demanding and heavy. But my yoke will remain easy, and my burden light." That's what Jesus is speaking to. And this is the religious mindset of a lot of religious leaders in the world today. So I love 
that Jesus has laid this out for us? Can greatness be found in saying? No. So where is greatness found? Well, I'm glad you guys asked. Uh-oh. I forgot to hit my purgatory one. <laughs> Dang, I knew I was going to talk about it for a while, so I have it burning for a while. But the next question <laughs> is, where is greatness found? Okay, so look at verse 5 with me. Two ways, in servanthood and humility. This is what Jesus wants of us. This is where he is pointing us this morning. So true greatness is found in serving others, not in forcing them to serve us. Okay, that's where it is. You want to be a good leader? Be a good servant. You want to be a good husband? Be a good servant leader in your home. Okay, that's the example Christ has set before us. You want to be great, you serve. Didn't he come to serve and not to be served? But isn't he the king of glory? Isn't, isn't he worthy to be served? Absolutely. But that's not who he is. He's a servant, guys. Why? Because he's a loving God. And he's set a great example for you and I. So we also see humility, okay? So where our king rules, whoever exalts himself will definitely be abased. Whoever humbles himself, the king will quickly rise up. Oh, we're done burning. There we go. Greatness is found in servanthood and humility. Servanthood, humility. Has this been helpful for you guys when we put this up on the TV? Yeah? Good. So let's think about this for a second. Because they've rejected servanthood, in humility, they find themselves rejected by God. Spurgeon said, the way to rise is to sink self. The lower we fall in our own esteem, the higher shall we rise in our master's estimation. I like that. Let me ask you guys this question. Can we learn humility? It is usually the hard way. Amen to that. You know, but whom the Lord loves, he'll chasten. You know, he'll bring us low. And I'm thankful for it. It hurts, but it's good. And I think the easiest way, there is the hard way. <laughs> and a lot of us need to learn the hard way because why? We're just not willing to humble ourselves. Yeah. Well, that's what we need. Aren't we going to catch 22 then? <laughs> I would encourage you guys, learn of Jesus. Keep looking to him because he is a humble servant, guys. He is an example for us. And we see that throughout scripture. Even him taking this time with the scribes and the Pharisees. Like, I don't know. We're all lucky I'm not God because I probably would have been just, screw you guys. Like, you're not worth my time. But didn't he care enough to tell them the truth? You know, and sometimes we just want to write off people like you are blind and you are leading the blind, whitewashed tombs, you know, forget you. I want nothing to do with you. But is that the heart of God? Did God die for those guys too? Absolutely. That's why we pray. I pray a lot for false teachers. There's so many of them today. But I just think like, wow, what if they got saved? 
you know, what if the big Catholic church up the road or down the road? You know, we have a lot of Catholic churches. On our, I mean, what if the priest really got saved? What would happen? Wow, this father of mine that I've confessed to who has taught my grandparents and my parents and he's still kicking and now I bring my kids here. We have such respect for this man and he's telling me that it is Jesus Christ alone. Period. Faith in him alone. Period. That we aren't saved by works. I know you all were confirmed and you had to sign off and actually say that you're saved by good works. That's a lie. Because God actually says we are saved by faith through grace. Period. What do you think would happen if a priest got saved and went to his congregation and began to share the truth? You'd have a lot of angry people, but you'd have a lot of people begin to do what? Read the Bible. Read the Bible. I think that's the biggest thing we can do, guys. For anybody, Catholic, non-atheist, they need the word of God. That's what's going to set them free. Get Bibles into their hands. Support ministries that are sending Bibles all over the world in whatever tongue, language that's needed. Support that missionary brother or sister that's working on translating. That's huge, guys. The word of God is needed. So, I'm going to share with you guys. I'm wrapping this up pretty quick. Um, this is one of the best quotes I've read in a long time, so I want you guys to catch it. Okay, Warren Wiersbe went to be with the Lord a few months back. Loved the brother. But he said this, For 20 centuries, the church has been telling the world to admit their sins, repent, and believe the gospel. Today, the world is telling the church to face up to her sins, repent, and start being the true church of that gospel. That hit me, guys. We are to be a pillar of truth in our society. This world should be able to come and ask us for the answers for truth. But the world looks at the church as a joke today wasn't that long ago that everybody revered the word of God, the church. Things have swung big time. And part of it is the sin that is in the church today. I don't say that to throw a trip on you guys. I say that because Jesus has set us free. We don't have to sin anymore. Let's be who God's created us to be. Let's stop having itchy ears. And anyways. Questions. Let's make this personal. Do you ever turn your religion into a matter of outward show? And pride. Do you do that? Do you ever tell your right hand what your left hand's doing? Do you ever tell your friends about your righteousness, the righteousness of maybe that right hand and the righteousness of your left hand? I want to conclude our time considering masks together because we're good at wearing them, aren't we? Consider this, guys. You guys remember Bob Hope? 
Yeah, he hosted an Academy Awards back in 53, and he opened the show by saying, it's the first time it aired on television. He said, this is the first time the Academy Awards have been on television. You'll see the faces of the winners, and you'll see the faces of the losers. Congratulating the winners. In other words, tonight you're going to see some real Academy Award acting. We all wear masks. So look at your neighbor real quick. That's not them. Maybe a couple of you guys are being real. But I know most of us, we like to wear our masks. Even when we come to church, I think that's sometimes the best mask that we have during the week. You know, some of you guys don't put it on until you get out of your cars because you fought the entire way here this morning with your kids or whatever. Just kidding. That was us. No. <laughs> we made them walk. <laughs> we did, right, Sonny? <laughs> they wanted to. Yeah. But the problem, I think, guys, is we often believe our own lies our own stories. That's a major issue when it comes to hypocrisy. For instance, the mask of selfishness may be painful to peel off, but really the results are too good to pass by. Masks are worn to disguise who we really are. It can be done for fun, or it can be done for harm. Too often, masks uh, hide who we really are from others. And from God, however, you guys know that God can see through the mask, right? Good. The Pharisees of Jesus' day were guilty of wearing masks, and so are some of us today. Some of you guys have asked for years, how you doing? Great, great, great. 52 weeks a year, great. Really? That can't, is that possible? Maybe, if you're lucky. I want to consider some different masks I see in Scripture. One is the keen mask. We see a clean lifestyle, honest dealings, kindness, a good old boy in can who didn't hurt anybody, nobody. But God sees a man who is impure in thought, unforgiveness, self-righteousness. God dealt with that mask, didn't he? There's the Moses mask. You guys might like 2 Corinthians 3.13. Jot it down. It speaks to this. It says, Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. That verse gives us a little bit of insight into Exodus 34. Because again, what does man see? Well, when, they met Mo, or when Moses met God up there on Mount Sinai, he had received this sunburn or glory burn, God burn, right? Um, to which the people were scared to look upon him. But what does God see? He wasn't covering up a glow, but what did he cover up, guys? A fade. It was going away. Okay, so that's what God saw. How about the sons of Eli mask? In 1 Samuel 2, verses 12 to 26, we're introduced to Hophni and Phinehas. What did man see? Well, they saw a good family, a fine family, a family of faith. What did God see? A mis 
misplaced faith, a family of superficial commitments. How about the Simon the Sorcerer mask, Acts chapter 8? What we see, a seemingly good Christian, hard worker, a faithful member there, what did God see? A man good at deception? A man with a work religion mentality? A man that had a self-serving commitment? So the tragedy is that many of us wear masks all of our lives and we go off into eternity deceiving ourselves. So God can't work with our masks. And there is no mask ministry in heaven, guys. And some of us have become pretty good at multi-masking. I got a lifetime to perfect, or we've had a lifetime, the facade that we'll put on, that veneer, are working undercover. Maybe you're wearing that marriage mask. Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. But there's abuse. Things are falling apart. There's been no love in the home for years. Or maybe it's, hey, I got to be strong mask. I'll get through it. Just keep sucking it up. Or how about the happy mask? Always happy. Showing that you're the life of the party. When behind that mask, you're actually dying. I've had loved ones, I've had people I've known well who've taken their own lives. And some of them didn't see it coming. Some I knew were hurting. Some were open and real and vulnerable. But some of them never would have guessed it. Maybe you're wearing it's all good mask. Maybe you're wearing that sex appeal mask, but you're aging. It's getting harder and harder to keep that mask on. Maybe you're molding your face to fit that mask. Either what others expect of you or the perception of their expectation of you. So put the mask on and God can't work. Why? Because it's hypocrisy. It's phony. God wants us to be real. He wants us to be raw. And I don't know why we can't be, because he already knows it all. But if you take the mask off, guys, I think that's where God really begins to work in our lives. I'd love to see more vulnerability in our church, more realness. I know we have our little groups, and sometimes we, we open up, but most of us, we're not connected. Hi, church is done. I'm out of here right away. I don't want to stay and connect with anybody because maybe my mask will have to come off. But there's something when we are confronted with truth, when we take time to be still before the word of God, and we allow his spirit to minister to our hearts. And God may be speaking to us this morning, but what are we going to do with it? Are we going to be real? Are we going to be able to put ourselves out there before one another? Are we going to love each other? no matter what we might see behind that mask? I'd like to say, yeah. So let me tell you what, I can be ugly. I've seen a lot of ugly. 
but I've also seen a lot of people love me in my ugliness. I've seen God put things into my heart and a love for others who are very ugly that want to be in there in and of Landon himself. It's a God thing. And let me tell you what, there's a God thing in fellowship in the body of Christ. So if we take off our mask, I really believe God can work. It's in that vulnerability, that honesty, that authenticity. Be real. Some of you guys may need to hand in your mask to Jesus today. And if so, I'd encourage you to do it. Stop playing games. This life's too short to be playing games. And let me tell you what, people don't think about you as much as you think they think about you. Am I right? Honestly. And let's take it one more step past that. Does it even really matter what they think about you? What does God think? That's the bottom line. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that you're the God that sees, that you see all. Lord, I want... I just want you to be able to have your way in our lives, Lord, in our fellowship here. And I know that there's pride. God, it comes so easy and so naturally. God, forgive us for that. And would you please, in your grace, Lord, give us just whatever is needed to learn humility. It may be a season of trial. It may be just picking up your word and getting real with you. I don't know. But I know that you deserve our best. God, and I know that's going to come through when we get that servant mentality, when we're willing to humble ourselves and to love others in your name, to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. So would you please, God, do a work in each and every one of us, God. We thank you for your ways. We thank you for your word that is truth and sets us free. God, I think of all of the neighbors, family that we have that are caught up into just dead works or they have a misplaced hope. God, they're looking to themselves or some institution. They haven't put their trust in you and you alone, God. Would you open up their hearts and eyes, Lord, to you, Jesus, the Savior of the world, that they too would come to know forgiveness, to know love, to know you, Jesus. Thank you so much, Lord, that you've spoken plainly this morning. Thank you that you loved enough to confront the hypocrisy that's among religious people. Lord, and I fear that we have tendencies today in the church that so easily get us off track. Lord, would you keep, please, please keep refining us. Keep us on the straight and narrow. Help us just keep looking to you, Jesus. And help us to point one another to you well. For your glory. Amen. Amen. God bless you, and thanks for listening to today's message. For more information on Freedom Fellowship Church or to hear other teachings, please visit our website, cometofreedom.com, or interact with us at facebook.com slash Church.